are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Turn, please, in your Bibles to Amos chapter 6. Amos chapter 6 in the message for this evening on boudoir or battlefield. Now in Amos chapter 6 and verse 1, Woe to them that are eased in Zion and trust in the mountain of Samaria, which are named chief of the nations to whom the house of Israel came. Amos 6, 1. And come on down to verse 3, if you will. Ye that put away the evil day and cause the seed of violence to come near, that lie upon beds of ivory and stretch themselves upon their couches and eat the lambs out of the flocks and the calves out of the midst of the stall, that chant to the sound of the viol and invent to themselves instruments of music like David, that drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the chief ointments, but they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. I think if you read this portion rather carefully, here in Amos chapter 6, you'll find the background for the message I give tonight on boudoir or battlefield. I think you'll understand it as we read these verses. Now some additional verses, just listen to them carefully. Think not that I'm come to send peace on earth, I came not to send peace but a sword. That's found in Matthew 10, 34. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. In Ephesians 6, verses 10 and 11. But thou, O man of God, flee these things, follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Now, friends, the theme for tonight is not a new one to me at all. I've often spoken on the subject of the Christian's warfare, the battlefield of life. I've done so because of the constant battle in which I'm engaged, a battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. It never lessens, it never changes, it goes on year after year in the same way, maybe with intensity uh, increasing as we go on. I've done so because others have the same battles. I talk to people all of the time. In recent days, just in this last Bible conference, I mentioned this to only one person without maybe giving a name. In this last Bible conference, a highly respected man of God, a man that you love and you admire and you cherish his, uh, his messages and all that he does, and yet this man said and said to me, he said, I've been having a real battle. He said, I want to be found as a victorious Christian, but I've been having a battle. And he was concerned about his life and testimony. And here's a great man of God. And if I were to give his name, some of you would say, why, could that be? Oh, yes. You see, the devil is always after every individual. And the battlefield is everywhere. It's plain to see from the word of God that God wants us to win in the battle of life. Now, by the word of God, he gives us constant encouragement. For example, Paul wrote to young Timothy and said, Thou therefore endure hardness of hardships as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul knew the meaning of hardships. He was concerned about this young man. He said, young man, you need to know this. Remember last Sunday's Sunday school lesson? It spoke about Saul of Tarsus getting saved. Did you read this and notice carefully? We find in one place in the same chapter, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. That was kind of rough on a man just got saved, wasn't it? 
They watched the gates day and night to kill him. And again we read, And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus, and disputed among the Grecians. But they went about to slay him. This is in the same chapter where it tells of his conversion. It tells of the battles that he was facing and that they were trying to kill him. Now we recall that Paul said, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer perse- persecution in Second Timothy 3.12. Now the Apostle Paul is encouraging us. Then we found the Apostle Peter had a concept of life given to us in First Peter 4, verses 12 and 13. Listen to it. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. You see, Simon Peter had the problems, and he was encouraging others, saying, when the fiery trial comes, you keep on going and rejoice. Then John had some difficulties. Listen to this. He said, marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. Don't be surprised at all if the world hate you. This is in 1 John 3 and verse 13. Then we think about Jude. And in about the third verse, I think it is, he said, Beloved, I write unto you, with I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. You see, the battle is going on. Now watch carefully. Somewhere in my reading, I wrote out a paragraph from... A sermon from a book I know not where. But I wrote it down on a piece of paper and put it aside. Now listen carefully. Then you'll understand something. Someone said this. Whatever life may, whatever life was meant to be, it certainly was not meant to be easy. The world may be a boudoir or the world may be a battlefield where real issues must be worked out. But it is certainly not a limousine in which we're whisked along forever in comfortable irresponsibility. Now that's where I got the little theme of boudoir or battlefield. He said the world may be many things, but it's certainly not going to be as a boudoir, a place of ease, or a limousine in which we're whisked along with comfortable irresponsibility. Now, the three thoughts I want you to have tonight. Number one, the battle is everywhere. The battle is everywhere. In churches, in schools, in homes, in businesses, in nations. It began in the courts of heaven. It came down to this earth. It spread every spot upon the earth. It's everywhere. Now, Satan seeks the damnation of souls. He's trying to damn men and send them into hell. And the sinner listens. And he falls for all of the various temptings of the old devil. And every little thing will attract him and he'll turn away and use these as excuses for uh, turning from Christ and refusing salvation. The lost sinner blames the hypocritical church members. He says he can't hold out. He said the world is too much for him. And brother, he's right on that. It is too much for him. And then if the sinner escapes of the temptings of the devil and becomes a Christian, then Satan still doesn't give up. Are you listening? First of all, he works on the heart of man. For the Bible says, With the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. He works on the heart of man. Then when he loses the heart, when man believes in Jesus Christ and receives the Son of God into his heart, then he works upon the mind. And he tries to get the mind disturbed and away from God as far away as it can be driven until we find today all over our nation scores, hundreds, thousands, and I could even say millions of professing Christian people who say they're Christians and yet do not live for God. The devil is going after their minds. The mind. Let me illustrate. 
I saw a man just a few hours ago sitting in a service where I was conducting, a very impressive looking man, and I might not have said a thing about it except what someone said something to me. And he said, this man belongs to our church. He doesn't come very much. He comes once in a while Sunday morning. He may miss for many, many weeks, and then he comes back. And he says, he saves, I don't know I'm saved. And he just completely says, I know that I'm a child of God. If I die, I'm going to heaven. But he said, I've got seven years, that's all. In seven years, I have my fortune made. In seven years, I'll have enough money, I can retire. He's not an old man now. He said, in seven years, I can retire with everything that I want for the rest of my days. Now he's doing nothing for God. He comes to church once every three or four months. His family doesn't come. He spends his time in some pursuits, not always business, but in many different ways. And he feels like, well, I'm justified. But in seven years' time, he said, I have my fortune made. I have enough to last for the rest of my days. My dear friend, that poor fellow may be reduced to abject poverty. Did you know that? He may come to have nothing at all. He may discover that what he's making now can fade away in a moment's time. A depression may come. Stocks may fail. Anything can happen. And he's out of the business. And he's gone on his way. Are you listening, Christian? The devil works on your mind and tries to get your mind upset and disturbed and away from God. For a little while, I was troubled about something, and I think that some of my helpers are troubled now. I'm not sure, but my good men who sit behind me on the platform are not distressed at times, even as I've been distressed often. And I'm sure some of our professors in school are, are oft times uh, a little confused, a little bit distressed and disturbed about what happened. I've had people say to me many times, young people, it is hard to live for Christ in Tennessee Temple schools. I hold it still. Now, don't you jump. You listen carefully. I suppose maybe a hundred have said to me, maybe two hundred said to me, and maybe many more than that in all of these years we've been operating the schools. It is hard to, to live the Christian life and attend Tennessee Temple. Now, when God gave me the answer, then I don't have to worry any longer. And when I got the answer from God about the entire matter, then never again do I need to be troubled. Now, there is an answer. You know what it is? Here it is, very simple and plain. My dear friend, the devil doesn't like us. He doesn't like Tennessee Temple. He doesn't like our stand for the Bible. He doesn't like our stand for separation from the world. He doesn't like our stand on the second coming of Jesus Christ. He doesn't like our stand on heaven and hell. He doesn't like our stand on salvation by grace. He doesn't like any of it. And the devil is going to do all that he can to try to tear it down, every bit of it. Ah, dear friend, we can take away the Bible and cast it in the background of, of our school. We can stop revival classes. I can take away the standard of separation from the world. I can let you students behave like nitwits and bumps as many are behaving in this day and time. I can let you act the fool. And the devil will walk away and say, I've got it. I don't need to worry about you. But as long as we stand for God, he's going to cause trouble. And I know he will. And I know that some will be upset and some will be disturbed and some will have trouble along the way and we're going to stand. We're not going to change. It matters not. We suspended two young people today. Doubtless we should have expelled them. But in the kindness of my heart, I suspended them. They lost all of their credit for this semester. They pay the bill for the whole semester. They don't get another hour of credit for any of it. They're suspended. They're out. They're done. They're through. We may let them back some year, may not, may never let them back. 
They never, uh, may never uh, open the doors again to them. I do not know. I'm just simply saying to you that we have to have standards. These young men engaged in something that is entirely contrary to everything we believe and against all we stand for in Tennessee Temple. It was wrong, sinful, wicked, satanic, and had to be handled. And we did handle it. Now that's not pleasant. I told one of the young men, I said, son, don't you get a wrong idea. I'm not mad. I'm not mad a bit. I'm just hurt. And I said, I'm not mad at you. I'm not mad at your friend. I'm just simply hurt. I'm hurt because of what you've done to our, our almost 1,900 young people in Tennessee Temple Schools. I'm hurt because of what you've done to the name of our schools in this place. And the devil got hold of you and led you two young men into the wrong thing. And you went on with it. The devil began to lead you astray. Oh, my dear friends, Satan never stops. And Satan will fight a school like ours. He'll fight a church like ours. And when this church stands for separation from the world, when this church stands for soul winning, when this church stands for the great fundamentals, then the devil's going to fight this church. He'll fight it on the outside, fight it on the inside. He'll stir up church people around us. He'll stir up pastors around us. He'll stir up anybody that he can just to stir up strife. Why? Because of our position, because of our stand for the things of God. Some of you may have read this, and I think this is so good. I don't usually just copy things out of papers and read them in this way, but a fine graduate of Tennessee Temple wrote this a few days ago. It was in one of the papers. Some of you have seen it, or you will see it. Here's what it said, I, I quote. After my retirement from the Navy, I entered Tennessee Temple College as a 38-year-old freshman, and much to my amazement, I soon found that it was harder to live for Christ as a Christian school than anywhere else. That's back to what I said a moment ago. The devil works on us. You see, Satan is working after the Christian school, the dedicated school. Satan is working after the church that stands for something. If we didn't have any position, any stand, he'd leave us alone, go on his way. Wouldn't make any difference to him. He'd control us anyway. But he said, if I was hard, the easiest place to, place to backslide is in the fervent atmosphere of a fundamental Christian school. It is so easy to get caught up in the mechanics of a classroom, a Bible study, and neglect the daily searching that brings warmth and zeal to our soul. Then this man went on to describe ways whereby you can be victorious, young people. Then he said, uh, if you will discipline your life, discipline, this is what he said, discipline. Then he mentioned the word devotion, and the third word was duty. I like that. Discipline, devotion, and duty. And he began to talk about these three things. Then he came down to the last two paragraphs of his article, and here's what he said. Now that I have graduated from the college and am serving the Lord as a superintendent of a rescue mission, I have found that it's just as difficult to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. It was difficult, difficult to let my light shine in the service. He was in the Navy. In a Christian school, but the mission offers just as much opposition to dedication. That's where he's working now. Listen again. Where is the hardest place in the world to live for Christ? For me, it is in the Trinity Rescue Mission. But for you, it is where you're serving the Lord at the present time. Why? Because it is where you are right now. The most difficult place to live for Christ is the particular situation in which we find ourselves at the present time. It has always been that way and will never change. He's right. And if you live for God, you'll have it. 
and the battlefield will be all around you. If the battle will rage night and day, and you'll wonder where you're going, you'll be confused sometimes. You'll say, I'm giving up, I'm tired, I'm quitting, I'm giving it all up, and I'm throwing it away. I cannot go on. But my dear friend, if you have the Spirit of our Savior, if you know your Bible, then you'll begin to say, I'm going to live for Jesus Christ, whatever the cost may be. The battlefield, the battlefield, is everywhere, it's all around us. Church and school, in every place, in the home, in the business, it's in the church. Some people criticize Highland Park. I let them criticize, it never disturbs me. It never does. Oh, I don't like it, I'm not going to be uh, dishonest about the matter, I don't like it. But it doesn't disturb me to make me want to quit or anything. It makes me want to redouble my efforts and serve God better. And they criticize. And they say that the Highland Park Baptist Church has been guilty of intimidating people. I don't know what they mean. Uh, some folks I'd like to intimidate. But I've never gotten around to it yet. I've never succeeded yet. They're not the kind that, that get very scared, you know. I'd like to, but they just don't scare. And they say we've been guilty of this. You know what we're doing? We're doing one thing, trying to do exactly what this Bible says. And that means evangelism at home and abroad. That means the winning of souls in Chattanooga. That means the sending of our missionaries out to the uttermost parts of the earth that we might win people and bring them to the Savior. Now, the battlefield is everywhere and the battle of the mind. Now, you know why Paul said this? Listen to it. He said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The battle of the mind. And when you surrender your heart to the Lord, and when you're saved your faith in Jesus Christ, then Satan comes in and battles the mind. And the battlefield is everywhere. That's the reason Paul said, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. The battle is everywhere. Secondly, the battle is all of the time. It is all of the time. In every age of world history, the battle rages. In the Old Testament, the men fought Satan, were fought by Satan. Job had his battles in one. Jeremiah had battles in one. Daniel had his, had his battles in one. In the New Testament, the men had their battles with Satan. James and John desired a top place. They had a battle with the devil. The devil was tempting them. Uh, the Simon Peter had a battle against Satan and denied his Lord. And uh, John had his battles and on and on you could go. You see, the battle is unceasing. It is all of the time, everywhere, every day, in youth and middle years and old years, in all times. You have the same battle going on. We see it around us. It never changes. It's always there. The devil is always fighting. He's always working. Now lament the blindness of people when they fail to see that the battle is going on. There is no vacation. The devil never stops. And you've got to say, God helping me night and day, I'm not going to quit. It doesn't matter where I live, what I'm doing. It matters not in what situation I may find myself, but I'm going to be busy for my Christ. I'm going to shove away from the temptations of Satan, and I want to live for Jesus Christ. It disturbs me to see people fall away. It disturbs me to see young people fall away. It disturbs me to see old people fall away. Huh? And I sure see a lot of them. Ah, they retire from God. They retire from the church. They retire from holiness. They turn away to, to the world, to the things of the devil. And they say, well, I served God for a while, but I'm not going to worry about it now. Praise God for the little woman I saw in a meeting recently. She was nice looking. Came up and shook my hand. And told what she was doing. Somebody whispered to me, said she visits all the time. Says she visits 80 and 90, 100 people every week, does business all the time. And another person came to me and said, you know how old she is? I said, well, I have no idea. 
I've learned a long time ago, never guess a woman's age. And I said, I have no idea. Said she's past 80. Past 80 years of age. 80. And visiting and knocking on doors and witnessing and going at it. Wait a minute. Does the devil bother her? Oh, yes. Does Satan tempt and try to pull her aside? Oh, yes. And he works all of the time on every person. He works everywhere. And all of the time. We've come through a successful Bible conference. Now, wouldn't you think, honestly, folks, wouldn't you think with all the fine preaching of these good men of God who were here for eight days, five services every day, don't you think that kind of stir up a little bit of interest? And don't you think that'd help people live for God? Don't you imagine? Oh, no! My dear friend, we've had more trouble in the last three days than we've had in the last six months. Did you know that? We've had more trouble around here in the last three days than we had in six months before that. Why? As soon as God begins working on the hearts of the people, that's when the devil walks in. And Satan will try to tear down and tear away. You can't imagine the things that he's doing all of the time. Now the battle is all of the time. The battle's never easy. It wasn't easy for John Mark. John Mark went out on a missionary tour and turned back. He was a quitter. Then, praise God, he later got his eyes open and came back to God and began to serve God. I say the battle is all the time. Number three, the battle can be won. The battle can be won by human strength, no. By human strength, no. By human ingenuity, no. By human mentality, no. It can't be won that way. The battle can be won only by God's power. And only by your resting and your dependence upon the power of God can you win. There is no other way. The battle can be won. But in the battlefields of life, when the devil is working and trying to pull you aside, you've got to come back and depend upon God and say, Oh, God in heaven, help me that I might be victorious. Now, here's a verse that has been a blessing to me. 1 John 5, 4. 1 John 5, 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. Overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Now, when you mention faith, that goes heavenward. You cannot mention faith and just put it earthward. It has to be heavenward. And when you talk about your faith, you're talking about Jesus and about trusting and believing in him. And the battle's won by our faith in the Son of God, in Jesus Christ our Savior. Now remember something. The victory cannot be won without conflict. Now if you little namby-pamby, pussyfooting Christians, want to go along and say, well, I think I'll make all right. I'm not going to worry and... I'm not going to fight any battles, and you're defeated already. Not going to be someday, but you're ruined now. You see, the battle cannot be won without a conflict. And you've got to feel it. And you've got to know it. And it may be that you'll be in agony upon your knees in prayer and asking for God's help and wondering just what's going to happen. But there will be a conflict, and that's what Paul is saying. He said, put on the whole armor of God. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He said you're fighting against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. He said you're fighting battles and you're fighting Satan. Now Paul said that. I didn't say that. Paul said that. I'm repeating it. And you're not going to win without a conflict. I thought this is interesting. A ministerial student said to his pastor, Do you think it's wrong for a Christian to learn the art of self-defense? And the pastor said, certainly not. He said, I've learned it and I use it all the time. He said, you do. He said, what do you do? Did you take boxing or judo? 
And the pastor said, no, I learned the James system. He said, the James system? Oh, he said, yes. He said, you'll find in the seventh verse of the fourth chapter of the book of James. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's a pretty good system. That's the judo system uh, that God has given us to fight against Satan and to get the job done to resist him. But number two, the victory cannot be won without prayer. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Why did Paul say it? That meant that every hour, every day, you were living the attitude of prayer. He said, praying with all prayer and supplication of the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance. Where did he pray? We often say if Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees, but many times we don't pray. We don't get out and agonize with God and pray and say, oh God, I want to win the victory, and I'm here to get the victory, and I'm staying here until it's accomplished in my heart. Instead of that, we rush a little prayers, we go off the doors, we turn on the key of the car, we say a little word, oh Lord, bless me, bless my family, amen, on the way you go. No, it's not that way. You see, the victory cannot be won without fervent prayer, without waiting upon God, and this is it. Number three, the victory cannot be won without divine power. I'm speaking now of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I'm speaking of being filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're a child of God, then you have the Holy Spirit indwelling within you. Now, He wants to fill you. He wants to possess you. He wants to take you and control your life. And you've got to say, Lord, I want to be empty of myself. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit's power. I want God's power upon my life that I might win the victory in this world and that I might live a victorious life to the last day that I'm here. Lay hold upon a verse like this in Luke eleven thirteen. Listen to it. If ye then being evil know how to, good give, to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? That doesn't confuse me at all. You see, when I got saved, the Holy Spirit came in. He indwells in my heart. Now, if I ask the Father, then I can have from him the fullness of the Holy Spirit's power. And upon my life, there will be the fullness that will help me to win the victory and to be what God wants me to be. The battle can be won. Oh, defeated Christian, get it straight tonight. Defeated young person, get it straight tonight. You've been trying to fight it out by yourself. You've been trying to reason it out by your own little weak mind without depending upon God, without the mind of Christ in you, without letting Christ control you. The victorious Christian is a man of saving faith. A man of trusting heart, a man of inner power, a man of determined action. The save the, the victorious Christian. Step number one, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Receive him tonight. But as men as received him to them, gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Believe on Jesus tonight. Believe on Christ tonight. And begin to live the victorious life. The first step is salvation. The second step is to make Christ the Lord and Master of your life. The Lord and Master of your life. The Bible speaks plainly about some Christians who fail, about some baby Christians, about some who were named like Demas, who turned away. You see, that's the Bible teaching. The Bible's fair. And some have not made Christ the Lord and Master. And though you may be saved, you're not a victorious Christian unless you let God take over and control and direct that life of yours. God bless you. Let's pray. Now I want to ask you something. Number one, are you saved? I want no one leaving the building unless you're sick until the service comes to an end. I want a lot of you folks to make decisions. I want a lot of you to say yes to the Lord. This is a battlefield. 
Praise God, we have the Lord with us. The Bible says, if God be for us, then who can be against us? Tonight we can be found victorious in Him. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNVBC.com for Christian music you can trust.